0: KYW original podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. First, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Flashpoint podcast. Welcome to the Flashpoint family. Would you do me a favor? Would you log on to the radio.com app, Apple podcast app, or whatever podcast platform that you use and subscribe to Flashpoint. All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW. We have a yellow logo with the words Flashpoint with Cherry Gregg. Please subscribe. And when you get through with that, once you listen, please, please, please leave us for a review and rate this podcast. We need your reviews to take us to the top. And if you have issues that make you hot under the collar, let us know. Our handle is Flashpoint Show on Twitter. Now let's get to it. We are walking you through the flames. This week, the debate focuses on a multi-billion dollar industry that's growing double-digit percentages every year.
1: It Hollywood in the 90s. This is a very different kind of place. space.
0: While video gaming emerges as a legit sport, it's also become a legit disorder. Things like food or porn or sex or gambling, you
2: know, there are these behavioral things that can become a problem.
0: How to identify the line between gaming fans. And gaming fiend. Then a nice town native, is named Explorer of the Year.
3: I was very much interested in exploring the universe.
0: Our local stargazer and his effort to grow curiosity in the next generation. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the multi-billion dollar gaming industry. Just as esports is emerging as a legitimate competitive sport, gaming addiction is now becoming a legitimate mental health disorder named by the World Health Organization. So, with more kids and more adults getting into gaming, where is the line between being a gaming fan And a gaming fiend. With me in the studio to discuss this Flashpoint is John Fazio. He's president and CEO of Nerd Street Gamers. We also have Jordan Shapiro. He is a Temple University professor. He's also author of The New Childhood. And finally, on the phone, we have Cam Adair. He's founder of Game Quitters and also has a story about gaming addiction. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint.
1: Thanks, here.
0: I am not a gamer. I'm going to put that out there in the universe. But when I heard that the World Health Organization has listed gaming disorder as a disease, so I decided to talk about this. Jordan, can you help us understand what that is?
1: First thing I would say is that the, that there's sort of, we get these big headlines about the World Health Organization gaming disorder. They do that so that they can do research mm. and so that they can get funding and if you actually look at the criteria so few people would fit under that criteria. Nevertheless, it's, it's a useful thing to do because it allows insurance funds, it allows grant making, it allows the things to start to look at these issues that obviously are important or we wouldn't be talking about them today.
0: But is there a thing that people can be addicted to gaming.
1: There's a lot of question uh, in the medical community about how how to frame that. I think we all know it's possible for people to develop unhealthy relationships with devices, with video games. Whether or not that's technically an addiction according to the medical thing is a whole other question and we should probably let doctors decide.
0: Before I go to John, Cam, this is a very real issue for you. You started Game Quitters after dealing with gaming addiction yourself.
2: Yeah, I experienced this myself and you know, initially gaming wasn't a big problem for me, but it became one. And I dropped out of high school, never went to college, and was gaming up to 16 hours a day. And after I wrote a suicide note and decided to turn my life around, I shared my story and started to hear from tens of thousands of people all over the world who were also asking for help coming forward. So it's a very real issue for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And why do you think it's people don't really see it as a thing yet? There's an
2: aspect of normalization of gaming. Gaming is very prevalent. A lot of people play. It's a fun activity that millions of people do all over the world. Sometimes it's difficult to see the contrast between what's a healthy activity and what's an unhealthy activity. But like things like food or porn or sex or gambling, you know, there are these behavioral things that can become a problem and gaming is one of them.
0: Yeah. And John, you run an organization called Nerd Street Gamers. How big is this gaming industry for those of us who've been, hadn't been really paying attention and now it's starting to pop into our lives?
4: Well, there's kind of two parts of the gaming industry. There's the video game industry itself, which is the, you know, the entertainment component. And that's a $150 billion industry. It eclipsed Hollywood in the 90s. And then there's this newer esports component, the competitive gaming portion, which Goldman Sachs estimated about $900 million
0: right now. So it's big. It's big. Yeah. And so how big are you guys? You guys have a, a crew of folks that play?
4: Yeah, I mean, we're 30 employees. We have a venue in Philadelphia, Denver, and Huntington Beach. And what we really created our company to do is bring gaming in person, bring it out of the basement, bring it out of the home, and bring people face-to-face and competing socially like you do in traditional sports.
0: And that makes it more interactive, less likely that you're alone doing all these things. Are some games more addictive than others, Jordan?
1: Well, I don't know of anyone who's really looking at that carefully. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. certainly people who say that... Games are are um, are engineered in order to to get more attention from from players. But again, I think that the question becomes: you know, where is their healthy versus unhealthy uh, mm-hmm. rela- and relationships? Where is that line? Yeah. Well, I don't know that we can say where that line is in games. I know that with most games these days, they're so social. Right? We still have this sort of image of the person in uh, all alone, like on a sofa eating chips and uh, and not paying attention to anyone and isolated. But you know, when I watch my own kids play, they have an earpiece, they have a Microphone. They're talking to their friends from school, right? I, I'm guessing you and I, when we came home from school, we got on a line, three-way calling. We would gossip for hours. That's what kids are doing. They just happen to also have this, this world that they're uh, playing in at the same time. But, but mostly, you know, I see my kids with all their same friend group just all hooked up. Oh, and, while the, and while they're shooting something, they're also talking about something.
0: And then they're also coming to spaces where they're playing in groups now and it's like a live event a lot of times with gaming cam when you i mean how do you how did you know i mean 16 hours a day is a long time to do anything i mean i've had worked 16 hours a day i was (laughs) like that's a long time so how did you know like this is this is an issue for me and i need help
2: one of the big red flags for me was when i started to pretend to have a job and see my family and so my parents thought i had a job as a cook at a restaurant and I was actually sneaking in back into my window and going back to sleep after they dropped me off. And so when I got to the point where I couldn't even be honest with myself or with my family and I was pretending to have a job, and then shortly after that I wrote a suicide note and wanted to end my life, that was at a point where it was no longer just fun, you know, innocent games. It was something I could no longer control. And from the World Health Organization decision, we know that the criteria involved, you know, an addiction would be classified as something where there's impaired control. You're no longer able to control gaming. And it's having significant harm in your life, yet you continue to play despite that. And it's kind of taken over your life where your life revolves around gaming instead of gaming revolving around your life and just basic life responsibilities. So those are some of the criteria that would differentiate between the two. Uh, But yeah, most people who play are completely fine. And I think that's also important to share here.
0: Yeah, because there's only about 8% or so that seem to have go from like a healthy gamer where it's just a hobby and it's fun with the friends to something a little bit more um, obsessive. And so is there a is there a way to identify? I mean, you have kids who play. I have nieces and nephews who play all the time. And how do you know when it's like okay this is this has gotten a little bit out of control? Can you tell?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's also a really complicated question because to what degree do, do our cultural uh, assumptions around around the game or, or perhaps a, a stigma we have around mm-hmm. gaming in general start to in, inform that? Right. So, so for today's kids, if they're not interacting online, they're also going to be socially stigmatized and isolated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so how do you find that balance? You know, there's lots of things where we tend to look at them because of our, our cultural presence prejudices and look at them and go, hey, that's dangerous, that's bad, that that if you spend lots of time doing it, we're gonna consider that problematic. Where there's other things where if you were to spend lots of time doing it, we get excited, right? If 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 my children were spending 16 hours a day in front of a computer uh, programming electronic music, I'd probably be bragging about it, right? But if they were doing something else, I might not be. So, so is the, what, how do we decide which one of those things is healthy versus not healthy becomes a really hard question because we're talking about a future that we don't really understand. For all we know, you know, eSports might get so big that the kid who pay, plays 15 hours a day will be the equivalent of Michael Jordan one day. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's,
0: and talk about that because, because uh, a lot of time I think the difference between that is that people see it as this is a productive use of time versus the, the, the stigma that sometimes people view gaming as not being productive, but, with it being commercialized in this way, it actually could turn out to be pretty lucrative, and there are people who make lots of money doing this.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's why we exist. We create opportunities for them to compete in person so that they can be seen by colleges, by pro organizations, to get the opportunities that you get from traditional sports. You know, I was a Division One soccer player. I got to go to college. I got to travel the world because of soccer. That was a privilege that I got because of a skill set that I trained for. You're, we're now giving that to video gamers, and I think it's really important to kind of separate what kind of video gaming you're doing. There's, there's kind of casual, recreational gaming that is very entertainment-driven. And then there's competitive video gaming where you have a goal of being a better competitor, moving up the ranks, and a parent... A guardian needs to kind of see that difference and balance accordingly. You know, so in the esports industry, balance is very, very important these days. Uh, We talk about health because if you play for 16 hours a day and then try to show up against somebody who's training physically in the mornings, sleeping right, and training four or five hours a day in healthy increments, you're going to struggle to compete with that person because you're going to feel sluggish. You're not going to be as healthy and responsive as they are. So physical health and mental health have become a huge component of finding balance in competitive video gamers. And you have to see that difference as a guardian, whether they're a competitor and you want to balance them to train and get better or they're doing this for entertainment and you have to balance it as you would balance any other entertainment for a kid.
0: It's almost like you have to train yourself to yeah. be an athlete mm-hmm. and your sport is just gaming. You know, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean.
4: It's about hand-eye coordination. It's about spatial awareness. It's about reaction times. And those things are driven by mental and physical health.
0: Yeah, it's like when when Tiger Woods started working out and playing golf, and it wasn't just you know he's got muscles and he's like knocking. Ball's crazy. So it's like now there's it's become to a place where people have to be athletes even when they game.
4: Yeah, exactly. It's- Tiger Woods is a great example. I forgot that there was a time where you didn't think of a golfer as an athlete. like, And that changed because of Tiger Woods and the his approach to it. And, you know, we like to use the race car drivers or fighter pilots as our examples. You know, they're sitting in a cockpit moving their hands the same as we are in the game. But you, call, you consider these elite. Performers. And we're starting to see that in video games now, too.
0: Yeah. And so, Cam, when we talk about game quitters, you listed, I read your website, there's all sorts of reasons why people who may have other issues are drawn to gaming and then get addicted to it. Could you talk about that a little bit?
2: People tend to play video games for very specific reasons, and we've touched on some of them. You know, Jordan's touched on the social aspect. John touched on the competitive aspect or the ability to kind of feel a sense of progress or purpose in your life. And games can also be an escape, and none of those have to be a bad thing. It's more about the combination of them tend to make gaming more of a unique activity compared to other activities. People who play video games, they play for very specific reasons, and if someone's having a problem with gaming, it tends to be because some of those needs that gaming is fulfilling is, is kind of filling, maybe a void they're experiencing in their life in a way that gaming is kind of taking over that aspect of their life. So for me, you know, that was a bit of an escape and also a a sense of achievement. And, you know, I was feeling low self-esteem in my life, and I was feeling a lot of bullying and needing an escape. Uh, So being able to balance that out with other coping strategies and, and other activities is important to keep it in balance.
0: Yeah cuz you were you started at a very young age and then when you suffered bullying one of your ways was to get away from all the the negativity you kind of went into gaming in that way.
2: And that can be a healthy way to be able to deal with stress and anxieties and depression if that's that's coming up. And at the same time it can then also kind of pull you into a point where you're not then going back into the real world to actually deal with what you need to deal with or you know, you're just avoiding it all. And that's kind of where the shift has to happen where, you know, gaming can be a, a coping strategy in its own right, but you do also have to go back into the real world and actually deal with, you know, whatever is really happening there as well, not just avoiding your life at all times.
0: Yeah, you can't avoid, I mean, and that's anything. I mean, that you, you rely on as a crutch to avoid things. And so let's talk about kids who play because there's like millions and millions of kids who are getting into gaming. I know my nephew watches Games Mm -hmm. on YouTube being played to get better at strategy, right? The
4: Logitech CEO was on Bloomberg this morning saying that more people watch other people playing video games than watch the totality. And he named a bunch of these big, large Mm -hmm. news stations.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I catch him doing. Like he's watching video games because he wants to get better at playing and he's watching the strategy. Is it different for kids? Are they more susceptible to get sucked in? How do you as a parent sort of regulate this to make sure that you know it's a healthy level of playing.
1: Well, I think the first thing that, that, that parents, I think all of us, but but parents in particular, should realize is that is that we know absolutely, you know, the science is conclusive that the best way for kids to learn everything, whether that's self self regulation, executive function, so all the social emotional skills, is through play. But we tend to think of play, you know, we think of sliding boards, we think of sandboxes, we think, we think of the playground. All of those forms of play are, are were, were products of the industrial era, right? So, so this is a very different kind of play space, which is probably actually starting to build skills and social emotional skills for how you work with, with devices, right? I, I don't know what the exact statistics are, but I'm guessing that 80% of my everyday interactions happen mediated through digital tools, right? My romantic, my romantic interactions, my professional interactions, right? So much health, of our, yeah. our health, right? So yeah. much of that's digital. Yeah. Well, how do you start to learn the good etiquette of that? We learn good etiquette, we learn social things when we're kids on the playground, and we're and we have to work out those sort of tensions together. And so our kids are going to need to do this kind of digital play in order to do it. Now, the danger, as we've talked so much about, is if that digital play gets out of hand, right? It, it, right, but but to, but I don't think that's a sort of on off off switch question, right? How much it, what's the right time to turn it mm-hmm. off? I think Cam talks about it very nicely, right? These can be really positive things. They can even be a positive coping mechanism. The problem is when it starts to infringe on your life when you become unhealthy. And just the fact that this is what you want to do with your friends for a lot of time does not mean equal unhealthy. Right? Yeah. Because right. it's like basketball. It's like <laughs> right. a lot of
0: people obsessively play basketball, right. play it all day. But I, I want to go to you because military folks are targeting gamers now for specific skills that they have. They have recruiters that play and befriend them and get to know folks based on their skill set. Could you talk about how gaming is actually attractive (laughs) to a lot of folks, you know, great gamers?
4: Number one, for military recruitment, I think it's a natural extension. It makes sense they do this type of recruitment and have since the beginning of their existence in any uh, catchy youth entertainment medium. Just to get where they are. Wherever the kids are is where they're going to recruit. That's what they do. You know, so uh, I think that what we have to do is really we, we've, the word balance has been said a lot. We have to worry about the balance. You know, what's the positive that you're getting? You know, we talk about our social interactions digitally now in the workplace. You know, I was a software engineer before I ran this company. Ninety nine percent of my interactions were digital. I was interacting with people all over the world, and I watched the fourteen year olds in our building who were on the headsets communicating with. 400 people a day you know somebody who's 50 years old and never saw that would struggle in the modern economy to communicate with so many people and this 14 year old's been developing the skill set his whole life or her whole life and so that kind of um, you know development of social skills is important but you have to think about the balance and so when you talk about the military the first thing that comes to my head is worrying about gun games and the, the balance of you know what sort of violence you're showing in the video games to kids and where that's being used for recruitment purposes purposes that's something you know that's concerning to us. In our industry, we've started to differentiate between blue blood and red blood. You know, is there a gun that's shooting and showing blood? Or is this kind of Looney Tunes anvil over the head kind of violence? And differentiating that's important. It's not up to me to decide. It's up to the parents to decide. You know, I will never discount a parent's right to parent. You know, you have to make decisions that's right for your kids. But I think it's important to give that sort of education and that material to them. Here are the social benefits. Here's the differences in the game. This game over here is showing Terrorists and counter-terrorists fighting each other while this game over here is a bunch of cartoon characters shooting what look like fake guns. You know, your, your, your water gun equivalent. So educating parents on the differences in the games and understanding that will help them inform the balance that they want for their children.
0: Yeah, and I, that's why we did the show because there's a lot of people who are dealing with gaming not necessarily directly but indirectly through their children – their teens or whatever, uh, significant others. And, you know, they're interested in finding out more, especially with parents. Um, they want to protect their kids. You know, Cam, you have this, you know, you have an organization. You travel. Uh, what kind of folks are you meeting uh, who come to an organization like yours? Uh, and why do they seek you out?
2: About 70% of people who come to GameQuitters.com are gamers themselves, literally typing how to quit playing video games into Google or into YouTube and seeking help because they're unable to stop and they need to turn their lives around. It's about 75,000 people a month right now in 95 countries around the world. And then about 30% of our members are are now parents who are coming forward, sharing, you know, very heartbreaking, difficult stories of, you know, fairly severe cases overall. You know, there's sometimes maybe about 5-10% of the emails I get will be, you know, parents who maybe are just trying to make sure that it doesn't get out of control. But a lot of the the cases i hear from are are fairly extreme at this point you know i speak all over the world i was just in australia and i'll have 800 parents show up to a talk asking how do we keep this safe how do we keep it healthy and how do we turn it around if it has become a problem so it's not just parents it's not just gamers but also professionals a lot of mental health professionals counselors psychiatrists addiction counselors really trying to understand more about you know how do you treat someone who's coming in for this issue because a lot more cases are coming forward and people need to know how to deal with it.
0: Yeah, and we've heard a few of those stories locally about folks who dropped out of college because that's all they were doing all day. And, um, you know, parents get concerned. So I got to talk about Fortnite because, you know, people get hooked to this. uh, And we've heard stories about kids throwing tantrums when they can't play or whatever and sneaking off to the cousin's house to play. But when Prince Harry (laughs) stepped up and said that he think, The game should be banned in the U.K. Any thoughts on that specifically? I
4: mean, I know better than anybody how one thing that you say can be grabbed and taken in a million different directions that you didn't mean it. So I don't know what his context and what his meaning there was. But, you know, I'd be surprised if the same thing wasn't said about Care Bears and Sesame Street. Like those level – you see kids screaming to not turn off the TV because (laughs) I got to finish the show.
0: Teletubbies, baby. Yeah, There (laughs) you go.
4: So this is not new. It's really – entertainment and kids and what, you know, natural behavior of kids looks like. And so I don't see this as a very new discussion. It's just that Fortnite has to, happens to be this fad, this this crazy, you know, cultural fad that's taken over. So it's kind of Pushed the conversation to the front of the room here, but it's nothing new.
0: Is Fortnite more addictive than other games? People say, oh, it's free, and then, you know, it's incremental, you know, micro transactions, and then people get sucked in and you can't stop playing. Any thoughts? on
1: it? First, I'll, I'll agree that, there, that there's not only nothing new about it, it's also not video games. I mean, I have two kids. My younger one, if I try to stop him from building with Lego, he'll throw a temper tantrum also, right? That's developmentally appropriate to, to struggle with being able to prioritize properly, right? We Some of us spend our whole lives and as adults are still struggling to figure out how to prioritize and tr- move our attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is one of the challenges uh, of being human. But as to whether or not Fortnite's more addictive or with the micro transactions, you know, my older son is really into Magic the Gathering, the card game, the strategy card game. If you knew how much money they trick him into spending by, by coming out with new sets of cards, I watch it and I go, it's exactly the same thing. I think this is a, a feature of consumer capitalism, not not a feature of digital technology. And, you know, maybe we want to debate whether that's a good thing, but that seems like a whole other issue.
4: Yeah, yeah. And Fortnite did not get popular because of microtransactions. It did not get popular because it's addictive. It got popular because of the celebrities that came and joined and were playing. It got popular because of the critical mass of high influence people who came in and said we're playing this game and that, that's, that happens and that's mm-hmm. that's
0: what happened here Any Fortnite addicts with <laughs> you Cam? Or what, what games do you find or, or or folks all over the place with you that come to Game Quitters?
2: Fortnite's certainly a big one. We have about 2,500 parents a week come to the website by literally searching for Fortnite addiction into Google and part of that's just because Fortnite is such a cultural phenomenon that the amount of players is very high. Fortnite is a game that kind of has a lot of elements that you know, players can have a difficult time with, uh, but we know from research that games that tend to be more kind of like the World of Warcraft, the online multiplayer games that don't have an end and are more competitive based tend to be a bit more problematic or risky than, say, games like single player games that you can pause and come back to it later. And so just understanding what kind of games your you know, son or daughter is playing and you know, what they like about those games. Are they more competitive-based games where they like to beat a character versus, you know, more role-playing games where they like to kind of create a character? That can give you some insight into what their motivations are and, and possibilities for you to redirect their attention you know in a, in a more balanced
1: way what's so interesting is, is is you know we talk about how the open-ended games become more mm. become more addictive but in, in all of developmental psychology what everyone's pushing pushing kids towards more open-ended play less object-oriented play right let more of the play that's exactly the kind that sucks them in online you know so i think the the the, the big question here is whether we're happy about the fact that the play space has moved from the playground into into a virtual space or not um, um, and, and I think that we've moved into that virtual playground much more because we've changed uh, the tools that we use as adults, right? We've had huge economic and technological changes in our, in our, in our grown-up culture, in our civilization. And so it, it, it's normal that, that we would also move the children's – Practice right. You know, it used, yeah. it used to be a toy stove. It used to be. It used to be. You know, I'll, I'll go play grocery shopping, and 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 now we're playing digital interaction. Right. That, yeah. That's a, that's an economic change more than more than I think this is a sort of scary. You know, it's the future that's coming. I, but we're we're so scared as if it's a device addicting us. Yeah. yeah and, and where
4: I tef- definitely agree with Cam is that giving parents more education and more understanding of what games they're playing and what the games do is important. That helps the parents make their own decisions. But where I disagree. Degree, is this concept that one game is more addictive than the other? When kids were addicted to Tetris in the '80s, yeah, how I'm much more still simple, addicted to yeah, Tetris. I, you <laughs> know, the, the most simple <laughs> games, the most simple games you've ever seen, are, have been the most addictive. So it's games together that have to be worked on with balance, not just eight yeah. Games.
0: I think my aunt was addicted to Pac Man. I'm just going to put that out go. there. Like, she played constantly. And it's it a was great like, game. Yeah, she played constantly, constantly, constantly. So, because this is Flashpoint, uh, we do have to wrap this up. I mean, gaming is big, it's not going anywhere, it's only going to grow. How do we identify and keep ourselves from crossing the line from gaming fun to gaming fiend?
4: Balance is everything. Uh, we are a company that brings people together in person to compete. I think that finding ways to bring your kids in with other kids when they're video Video gaming helps giving them the in-person social experience as well. But again, it's about educating yourselves on what they're doing, how they're spending their time, and finding ways to help them balance and build healthy, especially mentally healthy habits. Website. Our websites nsg.gg.
1: Wonderful. Well, I would say the, the world's changing. It's, it's a new time, and our kids are experiencing a new childhood. And, and, and I've written a book about this called The New Childhood, Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World. And you can learn more about it at www.thenewchildhood.com.
0: Wonderful. Last word, Cam.
2: Just for anybody out there who might be struggling, whether you're a parent or you're a gamer yourself, you know, there's no shame in it, and there's a lot of help available on com. Coming forward, asking for help save my life, and maybe it will save yours.
0: Wonderful. John Fazio, Jordan Shapiro, and to Cam Adair for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news.
2: Thank you for having
0: us. Next up, he was just named Explorer of the Year. Yeah, I'm walking around in the Matrix. The Philadelphia-bred astronomer who's now helping to influence the next generation of stargazers. We'll be right back.
3: It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint.
0: What we have is a crisis.
3: This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You
0: know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting.
1: I think we f- forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg watch you through the flames on air Saturday evenings at 930 and
3: Sunday mornings at 830. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app.
0: This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. And one thing that gets our region hot under the collar is a closed mine. Well, one man has blown the rafters off of many mines in his day. Dr. Derek Pitt is chief astronomer at the Franklin Institute here in Philadelphia. He's also a NASA solar system ambassador. Now, Dr. Pitts made headlines recently after he was named Explorer of the Year by the Geographical Society of Philadelphia. Now, Pitts explores the intersection of imagination, innovation and discovery, igniting curiosity by educating and elevating understanding of the universe and space among kids and adults alike. Dr. Derek Pitts. Welcome to Flashpoint.
3: I'm trying to figure out who that guy is you just mentioned there.
0: It's you. But that sounds great. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs>
3: Thank you very much.
0: On Explorer of the Year, what does that mean to you?
3: It really means a tremendous amount to me because this is recognizing the work that I do in astronomy and space science. You know, ever since I was a kid, I was very much interested in exploring the universe. You know, the biggest place you can possibly explore. And I had no idea really that it was yeah. possible for me to come this far in doing that kind of exploration. So to receive an honor like this really is humbling, and I greatly appreciate it.
0: So you're an astronomer. Could you explain? Sure, right. So an
3: astronomer is a scientist that tries to understand how the the universe sort of manifests itself, how the universe goes about doing what it does. And so we look at the laws and principles that govern how things work, and Mm -hmm. we do that through the body of science called physics. And then astronomy is a branch of physics in which we look at how the universe uses those laws and principles to make everything that we know of. You usually think of it as a person who studies planets, stars, galaxies, yeah, nebulae, yeah. things like that. But It's really about a whole lot more and there's even a bit in there about how humans are connected to the universe. And that's an important piece too.
0: Otherwise – Why are we doing this? Recently, astronomy was front and center when astronomers discovered an image of a black hole, something that was originally unthinkable.
3: Yeah, that's true. And that was a big flashpoint in the news because of the fact that, A, we hadn't been able to see a black hole before, and everyone is absolutely fascinated by black holes because of the effects that black holes create gravitationally and how they influence different things around them. And we created such an incredible fantasy about black holes, mm-hmm. about what they do and what happens if you get into one and all these other sorts of things. It's supposed to be like a vacuum of some sort? Well, you know, that's what everybody wants to interpret. And I think that's because we connected the term sucking with black holes. You know, like they suck things in. Mm-hmm. And so we got this idea about vacuum. It's really not about that. It's that the gravity of the object, the gravitational pull, is so intense nothing can escape from it. It's not like stuff goes in and goes down and comes out someplace else. It's just that this is an object that has very, very intense gravity. And that intense gravity affects everything within light years around it. And it's very, very unusual to have something with the capability to do that. And we think of it as exotic because we can never have those kind of conditions here on Earth. But out in the universe, it's totally fine.
0: So how were they able to take this image? That's
3: a really great question. So they were able to take this image because they put together an instrument. It's really eight telescopes all sort of like pulled together where their signals are all aligned by a time signature. So you synchronize them according to time. So everybody, all these different telescopes, all observe the same thing. So what was really exciting about this is, A, it's the first time it's ever been done. Now people look at the picture and they go, looks like a fiery donut to me. You know? <laughs> yes, it does. <sighs> Ooh, I didn't want to I say it. <laughs> you know, however, and to me, that image, that, that looks a lot like a lot of radio images I've seen. Mm-hmm. But here's the point. it's The image is great and everything, but it's the first one that's ever been made. So think of it like the first airplane that ever flew. Nobody's getting on board with that. But now everybody wants to fly on a 757 Dreamliner, right? So if you give astronomy a few years... The images that come from instruments like this are going to be phenomenal. They're going to be gorgeous and beautiful. And in this case, the real story in this is what it took to pull the system together to do this.
0: It's exciting times. It's always some new discovery. You know
3: what? The reason why I love astronomy is every time I turn around, there's a new
0: amazing thing that's happened. Part of what you do is work with young people. So how do you take – a very complicated concept like a black hole and break it down so that kids can understand it and kids are as fascinated about it as you are and and want to learn more about astronomy.
3: And, you know, kids have a huge imagination. They're intensely curious and very creative. So if we go about it from those points of view, then you have an opportunity to get them really excited about this. And then the other part of it is that you have to tell People, You have to tell kids that they can actually do something mm. with this mm-hmm. and that it's open and available for them to do something with. So one of my favorite ways to do that in astronomy is I teach kids how to identify either bright planets or how to identify International Space Station when it flies overhead. Yeah, Kids will grab onto that because when they're young, they love planets, number one. And they love to see stuff flying around in the sky. So if you get them hooked into that, and you tell them how to do it, they then grab hold of this information, and then they want to share it with other people. And what's happened is they've become empowered because they have a piece of information that the adults don't
0: have. So you are from Philly. Yep. Nice town. Yes, ma'am. Area. You bet. What did you grab onto as a kid that made you fall in love with astronomy?
3: I lived on Pacific Street between 17th Street and 18th Street. Now, halfway up the block on Pacific... Bevere Street tees into my street, right? So here's what I noticed in the summer. I noticed that when the sun rose, the sun came up over the store down here on this corner, and as it passed across the sky, in the morning, the western side of Bevere Street would be illuminated, right? As the day went on, then the eastern side would be illuminated and the western side would be in shadow. My street runs east-west, Bevere Street runs north south, and you know what I did? I used this as a simple astronomical clock to tell me what time it was during the day, you know, roughly speaking, because I could see how the shadows changed with the changing. Position and how of the old sun. were you when you came oh, up with like this?
0: So by ten years old, you had used the um, sun. I'm, I'm the geekiest kid and, in the and North for Philly. Sure. Oh yeah, to, absolutely. To, to create a clock. Yeah, absolutely.
3: And this told me about the motion. It told me about motion. Either it's the Earth or it's the Sun that's moving. Either one of those is fantastic. But then I learned that it was the earth that rotates on its axis that causes this to happen. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. So this is what the Egyptians were doing 3,500 years ago. I was like, huh, I'm on to something here.
0: And it just grew from there.
3: The fascination with the universe has continued to grow because the the more we sort of learn and understand about the universe – the more we understand how everything kind of pulls together and works. And to me, the fascination is that we, we are made of the stuff that was originally created inside stars. We are created from that. So, in fact, there are molecules, there are atoms in our bodies that have come from thousands of different stars that formerly existed that no longer exist. So we're made of the stuff of the universe. We are. And each one of us individually has the capability to understand all this stuff if we just sit long enough and sort of
0: take it in. I We talked about where you're from, yep. really, how you yep. fell in love. Mm-hmm. Can I talk about your Twitter handle? Sure. Cool Astronomer. Yes. And a tagline that says, eat, breathe, do science, sleep later. Is that your life?
3: Absolutely. So I've always been curious about how things work, how stuff goes together, all that sort of stuff. And it's a... It's kind of a funny thing, but for me, as I walk around, I'm constantly looking at the mathematics and the physics of how it all goes together and how it all works together. So are you walking
0: around in the matrix, Derek? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. Actually,
3: I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, I'm walking around in the matrix because I'm thinking about the material of this table. What are the atomic bonds that hold this together? What's the strength of those bonds? What about the electricity that runs through the equipment? I'm looking at the radiation that's in the room, the light, the everything else. And when I'm outside, uh, you know, I find myself calculating, you know, speeds and velocities and directions of cars and all these other kinds of things. And I'm thinking about the wavelength of the light of the sky and all this other kind of stuff and how it all goes together. And, you know, my wife was mentioning this just a couple days ago about how I talk about how for us on this planet, everybody loves a beautiful, crisp, blue sky with gorgeous green grass and those beautiful colors of the fall leaves. Everybody loves that. Well, when I'm looking at that, I'm thinking about the wavelength of that color, how it all integrates together and how our visual detectors are tuned (laughs) to see just those things and our brain is tuned to like that.
0: You take it like, that's like 10 levels deeper that's fun than for average. But fun It's yeah. fun
3: for me to think about, to look at a rocket mm-hmm. ship and think about all the different mechanisms in that rocket that are working to make it do what it's doing.
0: Yeah, so why should we be paying attention to the world of astronomy, especially right now? The planet we live on mm-hmm. is unique, right? It's
3: unique. If it turns out that there are no other planets like ours anywhere else, we really need to do what we can to preserve this planet because yeah. humans are not going someplace else to live. It's wonderful And idea. climate change is real. Is we're dealing real. with all this and we stuff. And we have to take care of this planet. We are not all going to get into a spaceship and go to Mars where we're going to terraform it and turn it into a planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Not happening. And studying the universe will help us better understand how we can do better with our planet. So
0: I can understand why you are the Explorer of the Year. Well, thank you. Because uh, your fascination uh, yeah, with the universe always exploring, and with astronomy is very contagious.
3: Thank you. I hope it is. Because you know what? The last thing I'll say is there's a beauty to this. And what I'm into it for is to get everybody to appreciate the beauty in this to some degree so they can have as much fun with it as I'm having.
0: Amen. So thank you so much, Dr. Derek Pitts. And congratulations again, Explorer of the Year. Next up, Temple students are showing off their green thumbs last year we grew
5: over 40 different varieties of plants
0: the garden that's connecting students with community we'll be right back this is flashpoint and i'm cherry Gregg. be sure to check out the flashpoint podcast by downloading the radio.com app or using other platforms all you got to do is search flashpoint kyw and we here at kyw are all about community Years ago, a local university transformed one of the many abandoned green spaces in North Philadelphia. And today, that space helps reduce food insecurity to the surrounding neighborhood. Here to tell us more is president of the Temple Community Garden, Connor Caruso. Welcome to Flashpoint, Connor.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: So tell us about Temple University has a garden and it's and it's right in the neighborhood. Tell us about it.
5: So we have a garden located on the intersection of Diamond and Carlisle, literally right adjacent to Temple's main campus. This is actually the third location for this garden, but I was lucky enough to get involved about three years ago. And we have around 30 raised beds, and it's a student organization, and we try to really involve community residents within the whole gardening process.
0: So tell me what you guys grow there.
5: So last year we grew over 40 different varieties of plants, ranging from common vegetables like tomatoes and cucumbers to like new things that we've tried throughout the year like okra and collard greens. And this year we're trying to even beat what we did last year. So more than 40.
0: So you have community residents, people who live in North Philadelphia working with you all.
5: Mm -hmm. So we have garden hours every Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. during the warmer months. And those are open to anyone. So temple students, community residents, whoever wants to come by and help out. And we invite everyone in to like share in the gardening process.
0: And then how does how does it impact food insecurity?
5: So everything that we grow is given back to the community. This was started 2 summers ago when we realized we had an abundance of produce and some of it was just starting to rot, not getting eaten, and we decided, you know, it's not worth gardening if we're not able to share it with our surrounding community. So we started a farm stand initiative and every Friday during the summer, we set up a little table And we actually give out everything that we grow. So people have the opportunity to come in and harvest things for themselves um, or just stop by and take some fresh vegetables.
0: Wonderful. And so you're from Pittsburgh and have a a green thumb, so to speak. I do. Yeah. And so what do you love about it?
5: First and foremost, I love just the connection that I'm able to have with people. I think one of the best aspects of gardening is being able to share it with others, whether it's teaching other people how to garden or actually sharing what you grow with other people.
0: Yeah, and so this has been going on for quite a few years, and you guys do more than gardening as well. You also have compost.
5: Yeah, so we have compost that's open to the surrounding community 24-7, and people can come, bring their food scraps from their kitchen um, or from their own garden, and we use the compost in our garden. Actually, it's really nutrient-rich soil, so we're able to really do the best of both worlds. We're able to reduce food waste in the surrounding area and then
0: also generate nutrient-rich soil for the garden. Wow. And so this is sort of, do you feel like it's having an impact, Given, especially the part where you all give away food?
5: I think it really has. And over the last couple of years, the impact has really grown. We're able to serve a lot more people in the community. Each year that we do this, we grow a little bit more, meet some more people, um, and really just engage not only our surrounding community, but Temple students with the community. You know, we're all one big community, and a lot of times we don't have the opportunity to get to meet our neighbors. So the garden is a great place where people can come together.
0: And so, how many how many pounds of food do you guys, do you guys think you 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 harvest every year?
5: Um, it's hard to say. We did about thirty pounds of just greens last year, ranging from like lettuce to collard greens to Swiss chard. Um, but then we do probably a hundred pounds of tomatoes. A whole bunch of other stuff ranging from peppers or cucumbers or squash Um, so it's hard to say every year we're getting a little bit better
0: yeah and so what's your vision i mean i know you only have one more year to go but what are you hoping happens with the temple community garden
5: so we recently did a whole bunch of big projects and improvements to the space we added picnic benches where people can come and just relax even when we're not gardening and just enjoy the space But one of the things I want to see before my time is up is adding a greenhouse so that we're able to start a little bit earlier in the season and then hopefully even grow some flowers and some plants that we're able to give out to the community. So the garden kind of expands from its location like beyond.
0: Yeah. And if people want to volunteer, if they hear about this, they're like, I have a green thumb, too, and I didn't even know about it. How do you how do you get in contact with you guys?
5: So every Friday from 3 to 5, we have garden hours. You're welcome to stop by, or you can email us at temple.vegetables at gmail.com.
0: Wonderful. And so where do you get your passion from for this?
5: Um, well, I think it really started when I was much younger gardening with my father and my grandfather. Um, but just being able to share my love and knowledge for garden with other people and then seeing the, their enjoyment and then also the impact that it has on our surrounding community, it just the sheer joy people have of receiving something that's free and fresh and locally grown. It's really exciting.
0: Wonderful. And who knew you could have, you know, uh, over a hundred pounds of tomatoes grown right in North Philadelphia and get it for free. That's awesome. Wonderful. Well, I want to say this is springtime. So this is the time when you guys are going to be out. So when, when does your every Friday table of free food happen?
5: So we will start giving out uh, free vegetables in mid July. So, uh, definitely stop by and pick some stuff up.
0: Wonderful. So thank you so much to Connor Caruso. Give us your website.
5: Uh, templecommunitygarden.com
0: Very easy. Well, thank you so much to President of the Temple Community Garden. Go check them out right in North Philadelphia at Diamond and Carlisle Street. Thank you so much, Connor, for being on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thank you for having me. That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As American poet and philosopher Chris Jami once said, an overindulgence of anything, even something as pure as water, can intoxicate. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.